Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. This is episode 31, and we're going to call it Civics. And we'll get into that as to what that means. And so, just two of us tonight. And so, let us introduce ourselves. My name is Greg Knott. And hi, I'm Darren Laners. So, Darren and I are going to talk through uh, Civics. This has been one of my favorite topics since I was a kid. And uh, we'll delve into what I think it means, where I think it's gone or has it gone in some cases, how we can improve it, how as Freemasons we can contribute and be better at it. We're going to talk about what civics isn't and just start to unpeel this onion. And like every show we do, there's way more than we'll ever have time to talk about. So Darren, let me just kind of intro here a little bit about what I think when I hear the word civics. And so just by way of background, many of you know I've I've been involved in scouting as an adult, but I was also heavily involved as a youth from second grade all the way through high school. And one of the core principles in scouting is to help people be better citizens in the community. And so you spend a lot of time in scouts, not only doing the camping and uh, the order of the arrow and learning camping merit badge and and some of the others, but specifically to be an Eagle Scout, which I'm uh, proud to be, three of the merit badges are based on citizenship. Citizenship in the community, citizenship in the nation, and citizenship in the world. And the three of those, their goal is to teach you and uh, encourage you and, and really require you to get the merit badge to go out and be involved in the world. And so in the community, there's different tasks you do. The nation, obviously, different tasks you do. And, of course, the world. But I think mostly, of course, about community when I think about civics because that's where most of my uh, experience was. And certainly that feeds into the nation and the world, and, and we'll get into some of that too. But civics, so what is it? Well, when I think of the word civics, I think of being engaged in the community. The dictionary definition says the study of the rights and duties of citizenship. And think about that two-part, rights and duties. That means you you have rights. In our case, maybe we're talking constitutional rights and other things. But you also have a duty. And the duty piece is where I want to spend uh, a lot of this conversation because it's the piece that I'm most concerned about with where we're going in society at the present time. And so what is not civics? Politics is not civics. And, and Darren, I'm going to have you weigh in on this in a second. But what is the difference? Well, let me just give you a personal example. So I was a, a county board member or a county commissioner, depending on your state. And so I had to run an election. I ran five times and was elected to multiple terms. But the running and me being out knocking on doors and putting up signs and putting out flyers and being in parades and all that, that was the political piece of it. That's And I think in society today, we, we see a lot of the political end of things. The civic side was, to me, the moment that you swore to do your duty as the office holder. So in this case, to me, that's where the governance began. And that's where, to me, that's where the it's a clear line of delineation. Uh, politics is the process in many cases of getting elected or being involved in a campaign or different roles. But the civic piece or the governance piece was the job I was elected to do. And that's when I went in and, you know, we had our meetings and I had to learn about issues and I had to take it and I had to take votes. So it's very important that we think about these two things in separate buckets. We'll talk about how Perhaps they've bled from one to the other, 
over time and especially in more recent time. But I'm going to keep coming back to the civic piece of it because I think it's it's the most important of the two. It is the outcome of the political side. It's the outcome of the election. And the politics only matters and it's only needed because you have to get to the governance piece. And, and so that's where I want to spend some more time. Some more things on civics. I come from a small town, so we think about uh, the community I remember growing up. And I think probably part of the reason I was so into uh, civics and the Constitution and learning about government and, and everything was the examples I had around me. And so I had lots of my relatives were served on the library board, may have been a township trustee or a tra- you know, township supervisor, were on the fire department. And so in my dad in particular was involved in all kinds of things. He was president of our Lions Club, was on the civil defense, which was at that time the ones that went out and did tornado spotting and things like that. He was on the library board. And uh, so anyway, I had a lot of good examples. And to me, that's just what you did. And so it came completely natural to me to have interest in that. Got into scouting and it just fed all those interests that I have because it provided a platform to go out and engage and do some of those things. Of course, in scouting, in addition to the merit badges I've mentioned, we might go out and have a flag retirement ceremony. It was not uncommon for the Boy Scouts to, to lead the parade and, and carry the American flag. Or we might go do a trash pickup at the park after the community festival. Just all of those things. I remember the Lions Club in particular, which is no longer active in St. Joseph, but all of the men involved in that, I knew, and a lot of them were the World War II generation and then my dad's generation. But they would have these big chicken fries. And it was to raise money for causes within the community, and including the Boy Scouts. They sponsored the Scouts at that time. And I just remember everybody would go to that chicken fry. And they never had a lack of volunteers to go down and, and to do that work. And they never had lack of customers that would come and, of course, buy the product. And then that those funds turned right around and were put back into the community. So those were just a few of the examples that come to my mind that, to me, it's like, well, everybody does this. And, well, they don't. I see less of it today. So let me pause here. Darren, why don't you reflect, if you can, a little bit on civics, maybe the politics, the difference you see, and even from your own personal experience, because, of course, you're involved in scouts and things in your community. What what did you see growing up? First of all, I think you pretty much had a good definition of civics uh, as the study of the rights and duties of citizenship, and then politics actually being the machinery, if you will, through how government works. It's basically the set of activities that are associated with the decision-making and the forms of power between the individuals and how they are using those powers for the good of uh, the community or your county or your state or your nation. So that being said, as you mentioned, Greg, yeah, I was a I was a Cub Scout and uh, I was a Boy Scout up until a Life Scout. I didn't make Eagle, to which uh, Greg likes to uh, remind me that I'm life for life. But uh, I did decide when I moved to St. Joe and I moved to St. Joe in December 2008 that I wanted to become more involved in the community. And I guess in a way that's I wanted to be a good citizen and I felt that I had to, in order to be a good citizen, I needed to volunteer my time to organizations in the community. So I volunteered time with the scouts and that's how I met Greg. I was one of the dads who didn't uh, practice the Boy Scouts of America being the babysitters of America. And I actually stuck around and helped my son during the meeting and helped the other kids as well. And I think that's how Greg and I met. And that's, I think, what has uh, been, was the start of a beautiful friendship. So without civics, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with Greg. (laughs) But also, not only was I a scout leader, I also uh, volunteered my time to coach soccer. I coached uh, a few levels of soccer. While my kids were in, while my kids were in soccer, I tried to be involved in that as possible. And I just, I felt like I, like I needed to give back to the community. Even though I just moved here, I felt like a a responsibility, if you will. 
And I think that's what ultimately being civic minded is doing that. It's being a, it's being a good citizen or, you know, it's the art of citizenship. And well, what's a citizen? I'm going to go to our ritual here in Illinois. In Illinois, we have unciphered rituals. So basically the only things that are hidden within our ritual book are the modes of recognition and uh, the penalties of our obligation. But uh, in our first degree charge to the candidate, it says, as a citizen, you are enjoined to be exemplary in the discharge of your civil duties by never proposing or countenancing any act which may have a tendency to subvert the peace and good order of society by paying due obedience to the laws under whose protection you live and by never losing sight of the allegiance due to your country. And then it also goes on to say, as an individual, you are charged to practice the domestic and public virtues. And I think public virtue goes somewhat hand in hand with being a good citizen. It's also being a good neighbor. And to speak about our neighbor, there's a, a part in the charge to the candidate before the part in citizenship where it's saying that you have important duties you owe to God, your neighbor, and yourself. To your neighbor by acting with him upon the square, by rendering him every kind of office which justice or mercy may require, by relieving his distresses and soothing his afflictions, and by doing to him as in similar cases you would that he should do unto you. Basically practicing the golden rule. And I think in, in just in a very, very short summary, I think that civics is all of that. It's being a good citizen, it's giving back to your community, but it's, I think it's also practicing your, your civil duty and exercising the rights that you have as a citizen, whether those rights are voting or peaceful protest. And I'm going to stress peaceful because I don't want to go into the, that area. But, you know, we have these rights of free speech. We have these rights that are given to us by the Bill of Rights. And exercising those rights, I think, is part of civics. Now, that being said, and I think we can get a little bit into this. Free speech doesn't give you the right to act like an idiot. And I'll just use a case that I believe was brought before the Supreme Court. And it was regarding whether or not yelling fire in a theater was, was free speech. And I think they ruled that it was not because it endangered, potentially endangered the other citizens of uh, the community. And I could be absolutely wrong here. I'm going off the top of my head, but. My case in point is anything that is said, you have to realize that there could be consequences to what, what you say or what you do, and especially now with social media. And Greg and I were talking before this episode, and he was talking about how his wife has gotten him to start watching The Bachelor. Sorry to embarrass you, Greg. But those of you that are uh, familiar with that controversy, what happened last night is that The Bachelor basically broke his relationship off with the girl that he had chosen after the show because of some things that she had said in her past or done and it wasn't thoughtful of her and while she had the right to to do what she did it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do yeah so darren i i think you bring up a good point uh about free speech interesting when i got my library science degree one of the classes we had was very specifically on the rights and duties of from the context of a librarian but we talked a lot about free speech and uh free speech and they always use the example that you used and that's you know the fire in the theater and basically the point was there is free speech but it's, it has some limits and boundaries over time that have been developed through case law and, and, and other things that imply and, and, you know, and really insist that a responsibility goes along with it. So you, you're going to keep hearing us flip back and forth between the rights and the responsibility. And that was that core definition of civics. And, you know, to Darren's point, okay, I only watched one episode of The Bachelor. I promise that was it, just the final. But in the end, it was, uh, as Darren indicated, it was somebody that something in the past had happened and they were being responsible and they were being held accountable both. And so it's that responsibility goes a long ways uh, with that. You know, Darren brought up a lot of things in the Illinois ritual where as you come through and it's, very clearly telling you that you need to 
do certain things as you go through the degrees and after you've been raised as part of your responsibility in being a Freemason. And in in the core of it, what it's saying is you have a responsibility of being a good citizen. And to me, one of the purposes of the Lodge and several other Masonic bodies is bringing home those lessons either in the Lodge or in Scottish Rite or other places that really reinforce those core values. And again, probably going to flip between Boy Scouts and and Masonry, but that's, to me, one of the purposes as to why we're there, is to help improve yourself and learn those things, be engaged in the community, um, and be active. Darren, you mentioned something I think uh, is also important, and that was you're a soccer coach. And I think the examples I started this podcast out with were just a few. And again, when you think of the community, it takes a lot of pieces, a lot of volunteers to make a community happen, especially in small towns where they don't have a large town government. The the town government may probably, at least in our case, there's the town board and the mayor who are elected. There's very few employees, uh, a couple people that are working in the office with, you know, maybe the sewer, the water billing, or some of those things, uh, the street crew that are maintaining the, the streets and doing some other maintenance work in town. In our case, that's it. Everything else in terms of the town is volunteer-driven, and there's lots of ways you can be engaged in your community. And as Darren indicated, one of those, you can be a soccer coach, and or baseball, or Girl Scouts, or the, the church youth group. There's just countless things. And one of the things I've seen very clearly is that pool of volunteers has really dried up in the last 20 years for sure. I think the last 10. I'm I'm worried that COVID has accelerated that to an even greater extent. But I've always been convinced that we're going to come back at some point and that pendulum is going to swing the other way. And the volunteering and things are going to start on the other swing up on the other pendulum going up as people see the, the need to be engaged. But you can't just sit in front of your computer or your phone, and claim that to be engaged in the community. Uh, reposting a Facebook meme is, is not engagement. Uh, whether you, you might think that, and you might get a bunch of likes out of it, but that is not engagement. It's the conversation I had with somebody out here on the road this afternoon, that, and I just met a new neighbor, and uh, we we're talking about things and getting to know him. It's getting to know those who live around you. It's, it's stopping for a minute and saying hello to somebody, or or seeing how they're doing, or going knocking on the neighbor's door and just checking in with them to see how they are. Uh, it might be working in the after-school program at the library, helping kids improve their reading skills. The, the amount of ways you can volunteer and be engaged are, are endless. And like Darren said, we found ways that are of interest to us to be engaged, and I think both Darren and I can see we, we know we made a difference, especially in some of those kids who are coming through the scouting program. But again, those are just one of many ways uh, to be engaged. And so the book Bowling Alone, which was written by Robert Putnam more than a decade ago, and the the gist of that book was he was talking about the decline of social capital in the communities. And you can see it. I mean, it's the the disappearing of not only Masonic Lodges, but the Lions Club, the Rotary, Kiwanis, Elks, Moose, you name it, church attendance, all of those have seen a drastic decline in the last 10 to 15 years especially. And I think part of it, they were so strong for so long. And it was just like we've talked about masonry and some of the the high numbers we had up through the 60s and then you started to see the decline was when that World War II generation came back, well, they only knew to be engaged. That's what they had done uh, for four or five years in, in the service. And they came back and they kept doing that. And most of those, if that generation has passed on now. So there's a few members left on our organizations from that generation, but not many. They're not making up their preponderance of it anymore. And so the generations after them did not step up to the level that they did. And so I think we're seeing that through. And so, and each generation is different. We could, we could talk about generations and a lot too and how that impacts it. But when I look at my daughter's generation and, and, and Darren, your, your kids' generation and my son, I think they're going to be re-engaged, but they're going to be much more deliberate. They're going to be much more, they're not going to go to a meeting just for the sake of a meeting. They're going to want to know what is the impact, What's because they value their time. And so as we talk about engagement in, in the civic sense, I think over time it's going to be redefined. And I think organizations such as ours, Freemasonry, have to adapt to that to know how to engage those members. And it's not necessarily that they're always wanting to be entertained or they're 
always wanting everything at the spur of the moment, though some, some of them are, there's no doubt. But I also see they're looking for the value of things. And I don't mean a monetary value, but they're seeing where they can contribute and make a difference. I see it in some of the students at the university. We have, uh, I'm, you know, I work with our board of trustees, and we have student trustees, and they're some of the most engaged students that I've ever met. They are looking to make a difference, and it's some hopeful. But I've really, in a in a small town sense, we've seen these numbers and everything decline, and, and some of those organizations have gone away. And I think what that leaves is a void uh, out there to be able to get things done. It's just it's not as easy when people are all shut up in their houses and not talking with one another the way they had perhaps in the past. So let's come back to the Blue Lodge, because Darren mentioned what our ritual says, but we also we come to that classic uh, concern about you don't talk about politics in the Lodge. And I think this is why it's important to understand the difference between politics and civics, or politics and governance. I was in, I think it was San Antonio one, one time, and was looking, I think, I went to the Scottish Rite building, and in the corner of that building, the cornerstone outside, it was talking about the Texas Freemasons and their impact on public education. And I thought, well, boy, I wonder if we could do that today. And think about the turn of the century of, of 1900 to 1920. You had typically your um, your small one-room schoolhouses, and they were fine in terms of getting education started, but there was a push for more public education push for the development of high schools in a community. Because at that time, high schools were mainly in the larger towns, and, and some of them, if they had a high school, it may only be two or three years. In St. Joseph's case, we had a high school that was only three years for a long time, and to get your fourth year, you went actually to another town, Urbana, to finish up. But the Freemasons across the country were one of the major groups that were pushing for uh, the creation and the expansion of public education. And so I put that in today's context. Darren, do you think we could do that again? In other words, would we be able to be organized enough to make an impact on a public policy like that? Would we even allow ourselves to enter into the conversations on public policy because of the fear that some people would think it's political? I would say we probably wouldn't. We pro wouldn't do that. Uh, I think that, unfortunately, along with society, the fraternity has become siloed with different ideologies. And I believe that in the effort to keep harmony within the Grand Lodge and the craft, that our Grand Lodge would not want to speak on any public policy or support any public policy based upon the potential of irritating or upsetting some of the membership and losing that membership because of their public stance. And as sad as it is to say, I think that's probably the case. And I think that, unfortunately, I think we could do a lot of good. And I think that our charities could also help do a lot of good in individual communities, and they are. I mean, a lot of the uh, charity, especially MCAP, which is the Illinois Masonic Children's Assistance Program, I uh, has some wonderful programs, and part of one of those is I believe they they match uh, scholarships given by the local Masonic Lodge up to a thousand dollars. So if your lodge gives a thousand dollars, the MCAP charity will also give you a thousand dollars. So I think it does do impact on a more focused scale. I just don't believe that on a grand scale that they would say, for example be part of founding schools or instituting public education. I think it was at that time a different time. And, and I also believe the craft was different at that time as well. So that's my answer. I would say it's probably a hard no. Let me read uh, just a short thing. It was, I, I read an article and I found it again in The Laudable Pursuit. This was from February 2nd of 2015. It's called Masons and Public Education. And it's talking at that time about the early period of colonialism in the country and where the lodges fit in. Uh, it just, in its introduction, it was talking about how did people get educated or how did they learn? And it said you could do three things in those days. You'd be an apprentice in a trade. You could be educated in the biblical teaching as a church. Or if you were a Freemason, you'd be able to be educated through this lodge. It goes on to say, quote, The lodge is sought to civilize, to teach manners and decorum, to augment the order and harmony of civil society. We taught men to speak in public, to keep records, to pay taxes, to be tolerant, to debate freely, to vote, to moderate their feasting, 
and to give lifelong devotions to the other citizens of their order. And I thought, boy, that quote right there really says the purpose of not only back in the 1770s, I'd still argue in the 2020s, those things are still relevant. And I think we've let a lot of those slip away over the years. But again, not to dwell on all that, but again, if we talk about what our purpose is, right there's the core of it. And let's think about a, a lodge meeting for a minute. And um, there's a lot of time spent on Masonic media about how boring meetings are. But I think we forget their fundamental importance. And uh, Chris Hodap wrote a real long article about this uh, two, three, four years ago. But part of his point in that article was he says that these meetings were really the basis of how you learned democracy, how you practice democracy. And um, you have a master that's elected, but yet he's equal to all the other members in the lodge. The the business is conducted with motions made and, and seconded and then a, a vote up or down taken. And if it's an affirmative vote, that's the, the will of the lodge. And if it fails, then that's the will of the lodge as well. All of that was the fundamental exercise of democracy. And I think sometimes, Darren, we forget even as at times mundane as our meetings can be, they do serve at a very important point. And not just our meetings, it was the scout meetings. Again, it was the Lions Club, the civic, the civic groups, the, the bowling association who had their meetings. All of those were exercises in democracy that everybody almost was practically engaged in. And as those organizations have drifted away or no longer exist, don't have all those opportunities to practice that fundamental uh, piece of civics that in this case we call a democracy. I agree, Greg. I think that the meeting does serve an important purpose. It's just uh, like everything else that Freemasonry teaches us to moderate what's happening in those meetings. And I think that if you spend too much time on bickering about what you had for dinner or the roof or insert your problem here that somebody's going to be upset about, then A, we're missing the point. Because I think the point is not only to bring us together and to, to as you said, practice democracy, but I think it's also to learn about each other. And whether or not that's having education and uh, speaking, going around the room and having everybody kind of give their two cents on what that education meant to them, to just the parking lot conversations you have before or after the meeting or the conversations you have at a dinner before. And those things are, I think, equally important to the mundane business, if you will, of Absolutely. I think it's that's where you get to know people. That's how you get to understand their viewpoints, understand what they're thinking. They learn what you're thinking. And again, we just we dwell so much in the current day and age on politics. And there's just so much more to life than just politics. And me, again, I keep coming back to this governance, the civic side of the importance of, of, of how it builds a community. Let me go back again to the Boy Scouts and just... Just talk about a few things in here. They're looking at citizenship and community merit badge. And uh, one of the requirements says, discuss the rights, duties, and obligations of citizenship. Explain how you can demonstrate good citizenship in your community, scouting in a place of worship or school. And again, right there, it's saying not only did you learn what it is, but explain how you demonstrate. And so what it's in, intending to do is saying, well, don't just read about it. Don't just talk about it, go out and practice it. Again, so it's coming back to those examples I used earlier on of maybe it was the, the Lions Club fish fry or the, the, the trash. It goes on to talk about learning about, you know, how govern, your local government works and things like that. Uh, it's, attend, it's, it's requiring you to go attend a meeting of your city, town, or county council or school board or something like that. And I wonder how many people have done that lately. Probably very few of our listeners would have probably done that, but or, or watch them on the, the public access channel. Uh, you'd be surprised what you can learn by what's going on that affects you at the local level. And uh, there is a saying, all politics is local. Okay, again, don't want to dwell on politics, but what it's really saying in that, in that quote is that everything that really matters, it happens at the local level. Same with Blue Lodge. Everything that really matters, it happens at the local level. No Grand Lodge can come in and 
fix your lodge, give you programs and all that. They can suggest things, and there's some wonderful uh, tools and resources that we've put together. But ultimately, it's going to be the locals, in this case, a lodge or another organization that are putting the effort into. It goes on to talk about some of the services that, that government uh, provides in a community. Your library, your schools, your uh, rec centers and things like that. And what it's saying there is understand what they are, understand how you can participate in those, and understand, frankly, how they're paid for. Again, we don't talk enough about the in today's day and age, but understand the fundamentals about how your community operates. Here's an important one here, and Darren, you mentioned this. It says identify three charitable organizations and uh, understand how they do their work and how they're impacting. We like to say information. We're not a charity in the, in the case of and some service service organizations are or some not-for-profit organizations are, yet we, we stress charity. It's one of our fundamental principles. And we've got some uh, fantastic Grand Lodge, especially in Illinois, some fantastic Grand Lodge programs that really make a difference in the community. So it's, again, get engaged and, and do some of that. Volunteer at the soup kitchen or, or the, the food bank. Help, help it on a food drive. There's just endless amounts of things that you can do. Again, I think of always the small towns in ways that you can impact. I, I, I think that probably just because there isn't a large amount of government, things only happen because of those that are engaged in the community. So let's talk about social media. I think it goes without saying social media. Uh, we're using it in a sense right now on this on this podcast. The amount of uh, social media has just uh, exploded over the last 10 years. How it's used has changed dramatically from the early days of Twitter and Facebook to where it is today. There's a lot of concern about uh, going back to, Darren, what you were talking about, the free speech and First Amendment and what can be said and uh, Frankly, how they can come back to impact you later, as you use the example of The Bachelor. But, I mean, we could do episodes, a series on social media. But I just cringe today at some of the things that are put out there and what people are saying. Uh, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, but there's things people type and repost and put on the media, social media, that they would never say to each of you face-to-face. and just makes me worried or concerned about, again, what is the impact of that social media in our community? You've seen our local newspapers, they're drying up. And so, because people are now getting their news on social media. And I think it's important to understand what social media is and how it works. And there's uh, a lot of literature out there that you can read. And I'm going to ask Darren to kind of get into this a little bit is how it works. In other words, not how you type and post or reply or put your picture up, but what's that behind the scenes, the logarithm or the data behind the, the back, the background? How, how is that working? And then more importantly, how does that influence what you see? And maybe what you think. Darren, I'd like to have you expand on that a little bit. I think you. Did you watch this, Greg? This was it the social dilemma was on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you want a good breakdown of how social media and how the social media algorithms work and how basically social media only will feed you the information that you are interested in seeing based upon your browsing history, etc., Please, please watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. I think it's called The Social Dilemma. Uh, to your point, Greg, it's funny you mentioned social media. I saw, and I had read this previously when it was first posted, but Sonic author Chuck Dunning. If you're not familiar with Chuck, Chuck is the author of the definitive work about contemplative masonry and how you can use masonry and meditation together. If you've not read that book and you're interested in that, I'd highly urge you to, to do it. It's helped uh, it's helped me and it's starting to help me more as I uh, delve deeper into uh, practicing this. But to the, to the point I was trying to get at, Chuck wrote an article recently on his blog. And you can see it at chuckdunning.com forward slash writings forward slash a Masonic response to media manipulation. And I'll basically just read his uh, foreword that he, he types. And Chuck says, I've been working on this essay for weeks. One of the reasons I wanted to write it is because I'm becoming very concerned about political 
divisiveness wedging its way into our fraternity. I'm hearing of brothers speaking to each other in very unfraternal ways more often in social media. I'm hearing more political comments within tiled spaces or other gatherings for Masons. I see and hear more Masons wondering if they can meet on the level in good conscience with Masons who have different political views. It has become clear to me that sometimes some of us are contributing to this divisiveness despite being very well-meaning and intelligent brothers. Sometimes we justify it by saying our understanding of Masonic principles demands it. So then we start dividing up over who supposedly has a better grasp of Masonic ethics. Whether or not that is necessary, it makes me sigh. We're forgetting the us of the craft if we permit no respite from the profane world's us versus them conflicts. Surely there are many things that need to happen for healing to occur, but I have felt especially moved to address the matter of media manipulation. This essay is long, over 5,000 words, because I wanted to address the issues comprehensively, with care, as little of my own social and political biases as possible, and offer resources I could link in good conscience. Most of all, I want it to be practically useful. So, if you're interested, then I hope you will go into it with an open mind and heart, and a willingness to take a long, close, careful look in the mirror. I'm trying to do likewise. Thank you. And the, the piece goes on to break down the basic problem. First of all, the purpose of the piece, uh, the first sentence of the piece says, the purpose of this piece is to explore how we can use Masonic principles to avoid or extract ourselves from being caught in the webs of psychological manipulation, constantly being spun in all types of media. The present intentions are to highlight points on what drives media manipulation, how it works, its negative effects, and its alternatives to participating in it. Exposure of manipulative messages from all sides is a fact of life for each of us, and one of the very few institutions are designed to help us consciously and conscientiously engage. Freemasonry can be regarded as one of those institutions for these reasons. Masonry's commitment to virtues that transcend partisan and sectarian perspectives, principally demonstrated by meeting on the level with people of differing political and religious opinions. The craft's emphasis on working with others in peace, harmony, and unity. The spotlight our tradition places on the liberal arts and sciences, the most relevant being grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And our rituals frequent reminders to be contemplated. In keeping with Masonic ethics, it should be stated that this essay does not target any particular ideology, individuals, or groups. This effort is not about defending or attacking any positions on any issues other than that of psychological manipulation itself. So, it, as I said, it goes on to break out what the problem is. Basically, it talks about the lever and fulcrum of manipulative communication, talks about some red flags for manipulative communication, and then it talks about responding to the reality of media manipulation and how you can respond to that reality. I'm just going to read the, a little bit of this. There are four ways of responding to psychological manipulation in the media. Try to ignore it. Turn away from it or attack those entities we perceive as manipulators, educate others about the problem, or be more aware and engaged in understanding and managing our own vulnerabilities to manipulation. And he goes on to say basically that the fourth way is the best way, but that not everybody is ready for that. And he basically says the more understanding and skill that's developed with the fourth approach, which is being more aware and engaged in understanding and managing your vulnerabilities to manipulation, the more one becomes genuinely qualified to pursue the second and third, which was turn away from or attack the entities we perceive as manipulators and educate others about the problem. The fourth response is also the most congruent with masonry, which encourages us to take responsibility for self-improvement for our own sakes, as well as to improve our ability to make a beneficial impact on our relationships and societies. Then he goes to talk about some of the fulcrums within us that uh, you know, do not help us or help us become manipulated by media. Some of the defense mechanisms we put up, not only when uh, being manipulated by media, but also in, in general life. And I found this article could also be applied to a lot more subjects in your own life, other 
as well as uh, media manipulation, but manipulation just from other people or outside forces. And then employing the lessons of masonry. And with that, I'll just kind of also say that uh, after applying the lessons of masonry, he talks about applied perpetual learning and introspection as part of those and virtue and then he uh, reaches his conclusion so if you can just take i think it takes about five minutes to, to read the article i'd urge everybody who's listening just please read the article with an open mind and take it to heart and i think that hopefully you'll maybe hopefully learn something not only about yourself but about what's being done to you on a daily if not by minute basis especially on social media. So please, please uh, take the time to read the article. Well, I think one of his important points in that article is for the purposes of the Masonic Lodge is bringing those people, men of different backgrounds, different wealth levels, different educational levels, different careers, different upbringings, different ethnicities, etc., all into one place where they're all equal and on the level. And the whole point of that lodge was to not be the same as everybody else. And I worry about the homogenization of, of groups today, not not just masonry, but in general. And I think, Darren, to your point and to Mr. Dunning's point, is unless you engage with others that think differently than yourself, you're missing an opportunity. It's easy to, to watch a certain media channel and say, oh, yeah, I agree with everything on that channel or a newspaper or whatever. To me, the challenge to yourself should be go out and listen, read, attend something that's out of your comfort zone and learn something from it. You might learn that you have more in common with other people than you might know. And again, that was one of the whole purposes of the, the Masonic Lodge. And think about, again, to go back to that colonial times in America, I mean, you had people in those early lodges that were from all kinds of backgrounds. It wasn't just the aristocracy of, of the community. Certainly, we focus on the founding fathers and all the famous people that have been members of the lodge, but frankly, most of the rank-and-file people were just those members of the community from all different backgrounds. It may have been your blacksmiths or your local minister or the town doctor or the laborer or anybody. And they were coming together, and when they walked in that lodge, they were equal even if they were different. Again, they were practicing that democracy that we spoke about earlier and learning along the way. So again, he just brings out a lot of great points in this article, and he provides you with some tools that you've already familiar with. If you've attended the degrees and learned about the ritual and the lectures, he's putting them right there. We've talked about these things for 300 years in our case. There's nothing new in them. And so again, it takes some effort, but I think the concern, my concern, was social media. And I've spent as much time or more than most people on it, but is, is what it's doing to us in terms of creating tribalism, divisiveness, putting us in camps, only reinforcing those things that we want to seek or believe and, and don't have dissenting opinions or different opinions. or Anyway, it's a deep concern, not just to me, but I think a lot of people now across the country one of the trends I'm seeing is a lot of people are starting to drop social media. And I think the way it's designed, and Darren, you alluded to this with that the show that was on Netflix, and that show had a lot of founders of Twitter, Facebook. These were the engineers that helped create it. And they were talking about the, the way that it works is to pull you in and, um, in a sense, form an addiction. And so, again, in Mr. Dunning's article, he's talking about ways to Get out of that cycle, because uh, if you spend all your time on it, you will have your beliefs reinforced over and over, because that's the way the, the logarithms on it work. Go back to our discussion about the community. Before social media, you were engaging with people in your church, again, in your civic club, could have been the lodge, the Lions Club, the Rotary, etc. Maybe you're a volunteer fireman, you were engaging in the community there. We've lost a lot of that over the last 50 years to a point where I think we're near a crisis situation. But this is where the opportunity of where the Blue Lodge can come in because it has those principles right in front of you that you can practice and go back out into the world and use. I mean, let's face it, the whole point of coming to the Lodge was 
come in, you learn something, and you go out a better person. That's the fundamental purpose of masonry. So it comes right back to our topic of what is civics. It's all those things that you can learn in the Blue Lodge, take back out and put them in practice in your community. And it doesn't have to be some uh, grandiose plan or, or some deep-thoughted educational piece. You can do the basics, how to be a better person, take that and go out and help your community. So I'm going to give it to Darren one more time for his final thoughts on this episode, then I'll wrap up with a few concluding thoughts. Thanks, Rick. First of all, it's Brother Dunning, so Chuck, uh, if you listen to this, uh, you are a mister, but you're also a brother. Greg is just trying to pay you the utmost respect. A lot of people probably wouldn't be able to guess, but uh, I would say Greg and I are probably on the political spectrum somewhat ideologically opposite. I mean, we there are some things in the middle we agree upon, but one of the beauties I felt from our friendship has been the opportunity to learn from him and have him learn from me. And I think that's how we've both grown, not only as people, but how our, our friendship has, has grown as well. Because we can talk about these issues without anger, without finger pointing, without without really true, I guess, partisanship and just kind of look at what's the what's the human impact or what's the ethical impact or what what's the impact of uh these, these things that we're discussing and like i said i think that we need to as a society on a whole get back to that where we can take out the tribalism and just because somebody's a republican or a democrat doesn't make them evil or insane or whatever other slander one can think of. And I've seen it all on social media. I've seen brothers I respect post things that, uh, as Greg said, they'd never say in, in person just because of their political ideology. I think that's what Chuck is urging in the article. And once again, please go read the article. Is that part of that contemplation is taking a step back, really dissecting information that you see on social media and as you kind of mentioned greg forming your own conclusions or going to alternate sources reading the other side of things just to to base your own conclusion because otherwise you're just regurgitating what's you're being told and that's not thought freemasonry is about thinking it is a craft where you need to think, you need to have critical thinking skills. So not only thinking, but thinking critically. And uh, I really hope that that people will read Chuck's article and hopefully start to maybe harden themselves, be better informed about what social media is doing to you, what its goal essentially is. Its goal essentially is... You are a commodity to social media. They're making money off of you. They're making, you are being sold. Your information's being sold. And you are nothing but a commodity to these, to the media companies. They don't personally care about you. It's impersonal algorithms. It's deciding what information to give you based upon your interests. And that's it. And then they're taking you down these rabbit holes of information, which let's face it, Facebook isn't the, the best place to get news. Uh, you can't read um, Uncle Charlie's social media posts to get a good grasp on what's happening in the world. You have to actually go to different media, trusted media sources, and more than more than one, I would say, go to the New York Times, go to the Washington Post, Go to the BBC, go to Deutsche Welle, go to different media, not only in our country, but other countries, and draw your own perspectives and think for yourself. Great points, Darren. So, civics, that was our topic. Well, went through a, a wide range of ideas and thoughts. Let me just bring it back and conclude it with this. And look, there's no more important time in our country's history to be engaged civically. You hear people bemoan it's not taught in schools and all this, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but 
I think you have a personal obligation to go out and be engaged in your community and by your influence and what you do, others will see that and they'll learn civics just by watching what you're doing. Again, how does that relate to Freemasonry? Well, you're learning those principles that Brother Dunning, as Darren points out, sorry Chuck, he does, he points, he puts those right there in a package for you to, to look at and understand. Take that and do a short presentation in your lodge about one of those. Have the pancake breakfast. You know why that pancake breakfast is important? Not just because you're raising money to pay for the roof or, or whatever. Because you're bringing in outside people into your lodge and they're having those conversations in there with other people. I've seen that at uh, one of our lodges. They're saying, oh, I hadn't seen you in a while. How are you doing? How's the kids? How's the family? How's you know college going or whatever? And that's the fundamental piece of what a community is. It's relations with one another, learning from one another, living with one another, helping one another, and in our country's case, governing one another. Again, all of those things are taught right there in your lodge. So I could spend a lot more time on the topic of civics. It's obviously something that's uh, very important to me. I ran for public office and held office a number of times, so I was privileged to do that. So that's one angle you can do. Or you can just go knock on your next-door neighbor's door see how they're doing and say, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Can I rake the leaves or whatever? So it's an important topic. I hope you'll not only read Brother Dunning's article, but just do your own research on it and find out more of how it can pertain to you. And you'll quickly see that the very fundamentals and foundation of the Masonic fraternity are built on civics. So appreciate everybody listening tonight. Uh, Darren, I appreciated all your uh, thoughts and comments. We do appreciate all of you that listen to our podcast. We uh, will be back with another episode soon, and we'll have Bill and uh, another guest. And uh, take care of yourself. Hope you're doing well during this uh, COVID time. And reach out to somebody and see how they're doing as well. Take care and thank you. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com While there please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and Park.